Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at Business Creators Radio, we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Be sure to check out our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. We have fresh episodes regularly, at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, and we also have an archive of topics relevant to business creators just like you. Also, check us out on some of the syndication networks. We're on a lot of them. Subscribe to the one that you prefer to get up-to-the-date content. So today, we are going to have some fun. We are going to explore some tales, and we are going to show you, through an entrepreneur's story, how to reach your business dreams. And I'm very excited by our guest today. This is somebody who I've actually wanted to have on the show for a while, and given his very, very busy activity, uh, it was a little bit of a work to get him on, but we're so happy we did, and we're so excited to bring him to you today. His name is Jerry Brazy. He is a serial entrepreneur who has climbed his way to the top from literally nothing, even a place to sleep. Jerry's come from being a homeless teen, stealing food to eat, and now a multimillionaire with numerous companies including real estate, and thousands of employees. Jerry is a successful businessman and family man who wants to give something back. He shares his story and advice in the hope of inspiring others to reach their dreams regardless of their start in life. Jerry, come on in. The weather's fine. Perfect. Adam, how are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. So, Normally what we do at the beginning of the Business Creators Radio Show is I'll say the following, and our listeners know that I say this every time. I'll say something like, I've just read off your official bio. It's so impressive. I don't know how I'm even qualified to be on the same show as you, even though it's my show. But let's take a moment and let's explore what's brought you to the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. But what's interesting about what we're doing today is that's actually where the story starts where by learning more about your story, we discover that journey that's brought you to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, serving business creators in your own orbit. So let me ask a couple questions about this. First of all, uh, you've told me that you grew up in a fairly poor scenario, uh, not a lot of food to eat, and you had eight brothers and sisters. So tell us more about what that was like. So, so yeah, thank you, and I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I was – number seven of nine kids, and my mother had uh, six kids by the time she was 22 years old. So my older six brothers wow. and sisters are less than a year apart on average. So you can imagine the uh, the strain and the pressure on her. And then seven years later, they had me, and uh, I have a little brother and a little sister because they didn't want me to be an only child. So uh grew up here in Portland, Oregon under that scenario, uh, pretty extreme poverty, if you, uh, if you will. So a lot of uh, powdered milk and government cheese uh, was, in my, was in my past. And uh, for me, uh, growing up that way, the one thing you had to do is you had to be self-sufficient. And so when I get asked questions today about where I get the entrepreneurial spirit or where I get the ability to do what I do, uh, a lot of that comes back down to, you know, being when I was six years old, seven years old, I would take a bus from one side of Portland to the other. 
because I knew how transportation worked. And when you're a latchkey kid, there's really nobody watching you. My mother worked full-time, multiple jobs. My dad was working all of the time. And I had these older brothers and sisters that were, you know, 10 years older than me. Uh, so it was just me and my little brother out uh, out causing trouble. But inherent in that is an, is an independence. And uh, while you can look at it and go, my gosh, six, seven, eight years old, and you're crossing the city of Portland by yourself on a, on a regular basis seems extreme. The independence that I gained from it, I guess, uh, is probably has as much to do with uh, with what I've been able to do as as anything. It wasn't easy. Uh, certainly, it wasn't uh, uh, anything. Uh, I would want anybody else to have to to go through growing up, but at the same time, there's depending on how you look at it, there's certainly rewards that come with it. Absolutely. Now, growing up myself, uh, I didn't really have the poverty that you had. Candidly, it wasn't like a money poverty. My parents were, I don't want to say wealthy, and I don't want to say even really strongly middle class, but they weren't really too disadvantaged in terms of what they were able to provide to us. That being said, uh, they grew up in circumstances that were much less than they were able to provide for me and my sister. So some of the same feelings, some of the lessons, and some of the same slants were kind of passed down. And there was a big uh, conveyed sense of lack in the sense of there are certain things that people just don't get in life unless you're born lucky. And I don't fault my parents for that. In fact, um, it's just a matter that they didn't know what they didn't know. And what's been one of the joys of my life is, especially as an adult, is getting to know my parents in a new way and seeing how they've evolved is they've allowed things to happen for them that have enabled them to move up. So my point being there is it's really never too late, and it's always a good time to discover some of these lessons that move us up. If there was any poverty I suffered at all, it was more a poverty of loneliness. I guess you could say um, I was really smart, so I was that kid in school. And I, you know, we grew up in a very rural area, and there weren't a lot of people around. And man, all I wanted to do was get out of there. So when you told me about getting on the bus and being able to get around Portland, I'm thinking to myself, I wish there was a bus because I wanted nothing more to get out there and see something of the world. I could not wait to go to college. So I think a lot of us come from a place of wants, whether it's a financial want, an emotional want, or uh, some sort of there's something that other people have that they don't. And regardless of whether it's a first-world problem or a third-world problem or what have you, it does affect us. And when we motivate it properly, it does drive us toward our success. So what got you, Jerry, from where you were and delivered you to where you are now? Well, my, my perspective on that, too, is is that I am I, – I never lose perspective of where I came from, but I never lose the perspective of what, where other people come from. And what I have seen uh, over my many – I just turned 50 years old, and what I've seen in the years I've been in business – uh, through hundreds, like I said, and thousands of employees and multiple businesses, is that everybody has an excuse. And what and 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 my my trick, if you will, is that inherently I knew always to take responsibility for everything. So there's a there's as I grew up, we were always told, you know, that guy, that 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 sports uh, superstar, that basketball star, that politician, he has a huge ego. And that was a negative thing. And I've learned, I got some really good right. advice about uh, 15 years ago 
uh, that really that 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 I really hung on to, and that is that it's okay to have a big ego and be humble. And guess what? When you have a big ego, it can't be hurt. And if you're humble, you combine those two traits together, people will follow you. If you have a small ego, that's the one that can be hurt. That's the one that has to take uh, and get all of the acclaim when something happens. That's when you have employees working for you and you're managing them. I never cared who got all of the praise. I just care that the work gets done. I always say as a manager, it's our job to get people to do what we want them to do and let them think it's their idea. And so inherently as a kid, I understood how to do that. No one taught me that. I don't know where that came from. But I understood that I didn't need to get all of the praise to get what I wanted. And so I, I, I call it ego, and I'm happy to uh, to claim that and to wear that hat, that I do have a big ego. But also, I'm humble, and I never lose perspective. So I, I've been around the world. I know what poor is. And I would never use an excuse because I take ex- I take responsibility for everything. So nothing is anybody else's fault except mine. And that includes... You know, the, the, the myriad of stories I saw, you know, I had four murders before I was 21 years old. I saw three suicides. You know, my, violence was a way of life for me growing up. But none of that, violence on me, violence by me, none of those things factored into my success relative to excuse making. I was able to get past all of that, unlike many that come from where I come from, because I didn't make excuses. I took it all. I accepted it for what it is. I took responsibility for it. And as I progressed and I started my own business at 28 years old, that's where it really started to click. All of these kind of street skills, if you will, that I had that served me so well clicked for me as I became uh, an entrepreneur and started my own business, and that was at 28 years old. I'll tell you, Adam, I had an epiphany. I was sitting in an office. I started working for this company when I was 21, 22 years old, and I started as a driver. And because I knew how to drive, right? And I was digging ditches before that, and I didn't want to do that anymore. So I, I went out, and I, and I got a job driving. And within about 10 months of driving, I, I no, noticed that the dispatcher, I didn't think that, uh, that they were doing particularly as good a job as they could. And so I went to the owner of the company, and I said to the owner, you're paying that dispatcher $45,000 a year. Let me do that. I think I can do it better. Give me six months and pay me $10 an hour. If at the end of that six months I'm worth it, you pay me $45,000 a year. If not, I'll go back to driving and no harm, no foul. I did that job for seven years. Seven years later, I'm sitting in uh, my office. I'm 28 years old, and a company approached me about starting a new company. So they sent me a pro forma. Now I'm looking at a balance sheet and a P&L. Now I knew everything there was to know about logistics. You couldn't touch me here in the city of Portland. I knew everything like the the back of my hand. I could do five things at one time. I had people twice my age working for me. I could do no wrong. And all of a sudden, I was faced with this P&L and this balance sheet in front of me, and I had zero idea what I was looking at. And right there, I had an epiphany, which is, I think, uh, a combination of all of that that I just said that came together at one time. And it said, Jerry, if you don't shut up and listen, you're going to still be doing the exact same thing when you're 50 as you are when you're 25, when you're 28. And I didn't want to do that. And so that was really my awakening, if you will, uh, for uh, the independence and the entrepreneur. And to be an entrepreneur, I think, was that was my wake-up moment. I know right after that I couldn't work for anybody ever again. I'd worked for people up until that point. Uh, and going forward, I couldn't do that anymore. So really it was that epiphany I had when I was 28 that said, shut up and listen pay attention, find people that are smarter than you. I ditched all of my old friends and people that I hung out with and, you know, because 
the, the subject was always sports, sports bar, hanging at the sports bar, watching sports, playing sports, talking about sports. And so that was where we were all comfortable. And I ditched all of the friends that I had as a child and just said, I need to go find friends that make me uncomfortable and that I can learn from. And 20-plus uh, years later, I think uh, it's worked out very well for me. You know, you left so many things within what you just said there that I want to remind all of our listeners to make sure that you subscribe to Business Creators Radio Show. Go back and listen to this one again. Just, if nothing else, to listen to everything that Jerry just shared about what he's done as far as, far as his journey from where he started to where he is today. And a couple of things jump out at me. Uh, first of all, you mentioned the importance of having a strong ego along with being humble. And yeah, what, and many times we're taught as children that being egotistical is bad, as, as you said. Uh, we've also been taught that greed is bad. And what's interesting is I have a, an experiment that I run when I speak in front of audiences, and I won't get into what that experiment is, but one of the questions that I put on a survey that I have people take as part of the experiment is I ask them, is greed good? And there are three possible answers, yes, no, and define greed. Those are the three answers, yes, no, and define greed. So the last time I did this, I had a sample size of seven. And six of the folks checked off next, is their answer, define greed. Only one person said no. I found that very interesting because I was expecting just an overwhelming no, 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 no. And I think what I, that tri I attribute that to is we are taught that we're supposed to have certain correct responses that often are in contradiction of the nature that we've been given that actually excels our success when we harness it properly. So if you ask somebody confidentially, is greed good, they'll think about that and say, well, define greed. What do you mean by greed? But if I had asked each of those people in public, in front of an audience, I bet you all seven of them would have said, absolutely not. Greed is an awful thing. We should never be greedy. So coming to terms with those things, I think, is pretty important uh, in terms of understanding. I mean, we're given the id, the ego, and the superego for a reason. Go back and study those three terms, and there's a reason why human beings have a mix of emotions, a mix of reactions, and how we can do things and say things that could be either good or bad, depending on the situation. And once you have that flexibility, based upon a strong moral foundation with empathy and humility, you can go really, really far. One other comment that I've gotten several times is people have said to me, you know, Adam, you seem to have an answer for everything. Because I very rarely admit that I'm wrong about anything. Like if I make a decision and I move forward with something and things don't work out very well, or even if, you know, in those occasional situations where I lose my head and just really screw up and say or do something stupid, I'm not going to lead with an abject groveling apology. I'll express regret where necessary. I'll make amends if necessary. But what I'm really focused on is what has just happened that's going to make me more effective and sharing with the world my brilliance and my passion to, to do good things for good people as I go along. And just hearing your story, Jerry, that is the impression I got, is that your life has taught you lessons like that, and that's part of what's made you so successful. You know, I don't know, and this is 
this one's pretty personal to me. Uh, on my Jerry Bracey Instagram, I talk about it probably way too much, which is that uh, yeah. I, it seems like the only people telling us that we shouldn't chase money and that we shouldn't be rich and that we shouldn't go after those things that we want are always the super rich people. And very rarely have I ever heard anybody, and again, I grew up in, 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 genera in institutional generational poverty, I call it. That means that I know people right. whose grandparents were poor and my parents were poor and they were poor, and now their kids are poor, and, and in many cases they have grandkids at my age and they're poor. So you're talking about institutional poverty. None of those people, all they talk about and all they want is to get more. All I wanted was to eat. How was I going to eat? I was going to have to work. And so when I got my first job, I paid taxes as an 11-year-old in a restaurant, uh, believe it or not. I've never been out of work since. And for me, my entire life, food and work went together. And so the more, food, the, the more work I did, the more food I would have been able to eat. And, and, and I use that example. Uh, when I made 10 bucks, I wanted to make 12. And when I made $12, I wanted to make 15. And as I moved up and progressed in my career, I never saw anybody turn down a raise. I never saw anybody not take more money. It just happens. It just so happens that I learned how to make money on a much bigger scale. So I'm all about 100% go out and get what you can get. doesn't mean you rob from people. It doesn't mean, I mean, I think that's the greed that you're talking about. It doesn't mean that you get to cheat and steal. But as long as you're doing it ethically, and as long as you're doing it ethically, I won't say as long as you're doing it right because everybody has their own opinion of what right is. As long as you're doing it ethically, I don't see – in fact, I think people should be encouraged. In fact, I'll say it even even stronger, I think that socially we, are, we frown on people who make money, and that's a big mistake because this is my point in coming on your podcast and kind of what my, what my message is, is that you can make it regardless of what society tells you, regardless of what the world tells you, what politicians tell you, what the news tells you, what social media tells you, regardless of all that, you can make it. There's no secret guy back east that's holding you down and keeping you from, from making it and getting your goals. I am the living embodiment of that, and I want that message to be heard. Not easy, 16, 18-hour days for 20 years. It's very, very difficult to do, but it can be done, and I think greed, if we want to call it that, the want of more for me was paramount. It's all I ever wanted was more because I wanted to crawl out from where I was and achieve something not only for me, but I've changed the life of my children. I have three children, all three of them. I just graduated my last son. You're talking to somebody who has zero education. None of my brothers graduated from high school. All my brothers and sisters uh -huh. were pregnant and married when they were teenagers. So that want of something to move out and above and beyond yourself can only happen by getting more. You want to call that greed? That's great. That's what I would call it, too. And I think that's healthy, and I encourage that. Yeah, and you, know, you, made, you made the point that, it may feel to us that the only people telling us that we shouldn't be wealthy are, in fact, the super wealthy. And maybe this is a function of that, and maybe it's something else. But what I've also noticed is, going along to what we discussed earlier, is there's a stigma placed upon success, ambition, moving forward. I'll give you an example that gets played out all the time. We can play the, the game of, all right, so let's say you won a million dollars in the lottery. What would you do? Now, the socially correct answer is to make a list of all the people you'd give the money away to and all the charity you'd do and all the good and everything else. And by the time you'd be done, you wouldn't be a millionaire anymore. You'd be uh, probably 
minus money because you would have forgotten that part that you have to give to the IRS or whatever your tax collection agency is in whatever country you're living in. Now, when I give the answer, I say, well, I'm actually not going to really give much of that money away, really. I mean, I'll do certain things like uh, if my parents still have a mortgage, I'll pay it off. If my sister still has a mortgage, I'll pay it off. If they have a car, I'll pay it off. Um, I'll take care of my own stuff, too. Uh, these are the people who are my immediate family. I may spread a couple thousand around some of the closer relatives. I'm going to remember the handful of true friends who, uh, and the way I'll think about that is when times were down, who was there? Those are the ones where I'm going to have some generosity towards. Beyond that, I have some charities. Uh, I would pay off all of my own debts immediately to loosen my cash flow so that all of the money that's coming in is going to things that I can reinvest rather than debt service. Uh, that, that's a key piece of freedom right there. And then beyond that, if anybody came to me looking for money because suddenly you're going to find a lot of new friends, uh, I might say, well, I'll think about it. But if I see somebody come along, maybe a Jerry Brazy who has a, a brilliant idea, I'll say, you know what, um, I do have some money. You're right, I did come in with some money here. So what can we do to make money together? And where I'm going with that is I would be looking for ways to invest some of it so that we can create even greater returns for more people. Because I'm not looking for any charity or any outreach or any reinvestment I do to be a one-time thing. I'm looking for it to be a sustainable thing. So that million dollars I won in the lottery generates tens of millions of dollars for many people over time. And you're not going to get that by giving it away. So if the answer to the question is, no, I'm not going to give away all my money, you can call me greedy or stingy if you want. I'm thinking about tens of millions of dollars. I'm not thinking about that million dollars. Right. No, I, I the, the, the inherent in that, though, in order for you to attain that, you then are going to have to get something, right? You're going to improve yourself, and I think that's where uh, society frowns on it. Regardless of if you took it to $100 million, like you said, and you gave away 20, well, Adam, you're still keeping 80. Okay, well, I'll give away 40. Well, then you're still keeping 60. And I just don't, I don't right. agree with the how much is enough mantra. I don't want to tell you what to do. I want to tell you what I've done, and this is what's driven me. And I think most people are driven for more uh, success-wise. And however that manifests itself for you, by that I mean you don't have to be a millionaire. For me, it was coming out of the neighborhood and graduating from high school, right, graduating my children from high school. That's For me, that would have been more than enough success. I could have been working an 8-to-5 job, uh, graduated my three kids from high school, and I absolutely would have been a success relative to where I came from. But I wanted more. I was willing to, to, to risk more and to get more. And so the question is, what what is enough and for me and answering that question i don't care what other people think and i think any entrepreneur that might be listening to this or somebody that wants to be an entrepreneur you cannot care what people think so you can't care the people that you're rich and 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 that how they feel about you or what they think about you it's impossible i think to navigate the waters to success caring what others think about you right Right, I think, and I think that is very, very true. And, again, uh, the less we think about what others who are not putting any food on the table, so to speak, are saying, the more likely we are to be successful. That is just my personal view of it. Others may agree and others may 
disagree. And what I'd like to move on to now is I know you have a lot of great stuff for us here. And the Business Creators Radio Show has audiences. We have entrepreneurs and small business owners. We also have some business and corporate leaders who look to take some of the same principles and apply it to how they get more brilliance and passion out of their careers and help those who work for them achieve the same thing. So we're going to talk a little bit about employees. We're going to talk a little bit about entrepreneurship. But let's start with the employees. Now, Jerry, you've had thousands of employees yourself. And if somebody came to you and said, hey, Jerry, you know, I've been thinking about getting a new job, uh, or maybe they ask, uh, you know, what do I need to do to get promoted? What do I need to do to take the next step in my career? Based on your work, having had thousands of employees, what would you say to those folks? I would say to anybody that is an employer or an employee, the 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 number one thing that employee can do is say yes. So you just always say yes. I'll go all the way back to when I was 16 years old. I was working at McDonald's. And, again, I'm that kid that will take any job, work as long as you can. At McDonald's, you only get 32 hours because you couldn't be a full-time employee. So any time an open shift right. came up, they knew to call me. And I would come in and do the shift. And then when the fryers need to be cleaned, which is like the worst job you can have at McDonald's, my hand went up immediately, <laughs> and I cleaned the fryers an hour faster than the guy that did it before me. And they're like, well, the shake machine needs to be cleaned. Up goes my hand. I'll learn to do that. Pretty soon I'm working in the middle of the night on Saturday in a minus 30-degree walk-in cooler unloading the semi-truck full of stuff for the next week. And so – you just say yes, and then pretty soon McDonald's couldn't pay me enough, and so I moved on to my next job where I just said yes, and my next job where I just said yes. That is what gets noticed. So if you're the guy that just says yes, you go, well, Jerry, they're going to take advantage of me. and It could be. You know, Employers can take advantage of people who just say yes, but in the long run, your question that you're asking me is how does an employee move up? You just, you just say yes. Additionally, don't be the person that gets there at, eight o'clock on the dot and that leaves at five you know the person that sits at their desk and you're getting all your stuff ready at five minutes tell and you're watching the clock and the boss turns around and it's five and you're gone don't be that person uh -huh. be the person that they have to tell you to leave right they so i'm sorry I, I and i do right. it all the time i have employees i'm sorry we can't have overtime on this particular piece of business guys you got to go great but they go they go begrudgingly they want to continue to work so they're in my mind and then I'm thinking to myself, okay, as soon as something else opens up, that guy's a bit of an animal. He's willing to do anything. I, but, boy, i got to hit him over the head to get him out the door at the end of the day. Find something else <laughs> for him to do. That guy has value. So it's the simple little things like saying yes, like getting there a few minutes early, and like making them send you home at the end of your shift that will get you noticed. Um, I, and I think that we think that, that, that the boss hates us, and I'll add to my third thing, the boss hates us or the owner hates us or my manager hates us, hates me. You know, you hear this kind of uh, thought process and commiseration that goes on between employees. And even if it's true, you can't believe it. Even if it's true, you can't let it affect you. You have to do your job plus everybody else's if possible and not care. In the long run, that will benefit you. In the short run, you may get taken advantage of, like I said a minute ago. But in the long run, you will come out ahead. It might be at this job. It might be at the next job. It might be five years down the road. But I can almost promise you 100% that if you don't buy into that someone hates me, someone's out to get me, uh, get together with the group at lunch and commiserate about how the manager's out to screw everybody over, if you can avoid that, 
add in getting to work a couple of minutes early and having them and, and, and having them have to send you home and then say yes to any extra work, you're well, well on your way. I've had 30, 25, 30 jobs. I've I got to go count some, at some point. I don't, believe I've ever not been, I don't believe I've ever not been promoted. Now, I had all those jobs not because I got fired, because I just moved to somebody that would pay me more. So if I could make, I gained a ton of experience, let's say at McDonald's, and then I moved to the next job because I think I went to Safeway from McDonald's because that job paid me more. And from Safeway, I think I went out to working in a log, uh, logging because that job paid me more. So the point being, as I gained experience, which is what I needed following that procedure that I just outlined, uh, my success measured by the amount of money that I was making continuously went up. But what, what was really going up was my experience, the amount of experience I had. So that would be my three things, I think, if I were to uh, – to talk to any group of employees that want to move up or get promoted or move, uh, you know, move, uh, make more money. Okay, I don't want to start a burger war with you, but uh, when I was in college, I worked at Wendy's. Yes, uh, I'll tell you what. You know, the, to the, this, the, the beef there was never frozen. I'm like that stuff you served. <laughs> to this day, <laughs> and I say this all the time, I use I, I they they cannot. Not enough people can go work at those fast food restaurants. I'm 50 years old. I worked there for nine months when I was 16 years old, and I use uh, things that they taught me at McDonald's about how to do things economically, how to make things work efficiently. I use skills that I saw put to work there in my business every day today all these years later. So the value I derived from getting paid $3 an hour or whatever I made has has had infinitely more value to me over the following 30 years than you can imagine. You know, and it's kind of of the same here. And I had a number of jobs in the corporate world before I became an entrepreneur. But when I go back to all those jobs, the only one I really have any nostalgia for is when I worked at that Wendy's for five years. And it's for some of the similar reasons. And I was there because – I had specific goals of what I wanted to do with my money. When I first started out, I was still in high school. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to buy fashionable clothes because I did not want to buy that stuff that my parents thought I should wear and the, and the stores they wanted to buy it from. Uh, to put that in perspective, they wanted me to buy this stuff from J.C. Penney and such, and what I really wanted to wear, or Macy's or, or you, know, you know, mid-range stores like that and have this, a uh, certain preppy look to me, and what I wanted to do, and I'm dating myself a little bit, is I wanted to go to the merry-go-round at the mall and add to my collection of IOU sweatshirts. So uh, I had, so that was the, the initial impetus for me wanting to make money. Then it transformed into I was in college and I wanted some money for Thursday night and Friday night and Saturday night and Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. Then it uh, transformed even further when I got my Camaro and I wanted to put a mad bitchin' system in that thing. And right. I had friends who were on the auto sound competition circuit. In fact, a couple guys at that Wendy's uh, had low riders and they had systems in them. And they, every three months they were selling off all their stuff to get the latest state of the art. So I was picking up uh, competition level subwoofers for 15 cents on the dollar that had 30 hours of use um, and uh, were basically brand new. So I built a competition level system for a fraction of actually going to retail outlets and buying all this stuff straight off. But that's what I wanted. I wanted people, when I was approaching in my Camaro, I wanted them to hear me coming down the road and an hour later I showed up. So these were the things I had. I had goals. 
for that money. And right. as a result, yes, yes, I'm the person that I will work the extra shifts. Uh, yes, I'll come in. I mean, every once in a while, it just got to be too much, and I had to say, sorry, not tonight, I have a date or something like that. But in most cases, it was, yeah, I'll do it. Um, yes, I want to be the person that puts the stuff in the freezer when the delivery truck comes in. Yes, I'll do those fryers. Yes, I'll do those frosty machines. Yes, I'll scrub the floors. Yes, 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 yes. The only thing I asked, was the Nazi pigeonhole. Like, I didn't always want to be the person who closed the grill area. I also wanted to do the line area, and I wanted to do the, the, the dining room area because I wanted to have the range. So the main sure. thing I campaigned for is don't just stick me on the same closing position all the time. Give me a chance to excel at all of them, and then make me an opener, and then let me do all the opening positions as well. And without you know, wearing out this entire interview on it, I learned certain efficiencies as well where I could – take that book that was written by people who had probably never actually been inside a Wendy's that told us how we were supposed to perform all the tasks. And I could find a way to get the post-rush uh, the, the post rush function, all the stuff you do after the dinner rush, and the pre-close function, the stuff you do so that you're ahead of the game before it closed. I found a way to combine those into one 45-minute sequence instead of the hour and 45 minutes that those books said it was supposed to do. Now you had these assistant manager trainees who thought that the book mattered, and they would lecture me about how he was doing it all wrong. But I had the general manager who said, yeah, I'm saving an hour of labor with Adam. Uh, I want him on all my closing shifts. So right. that meant I closed every Wednesday night because that was the night my man, the general manager had to close because he was required to work a closing shift once a week. And speaking of my general manager, when I first encountered him, his name was Dennis, God rest his soul. He passed on a few years ago. I thought the guy was a smarmy, corrupt, mean asshole, basically. Uh, I found it very difficult to get along with him. I didn't understand him at all. Uh, but then I recognized something along the line is there's a reason why I'm working for him. And I studied him some more. I took advantage of opportunities when uh, I could sit beside him and have conversations with him and see a little bit about what he was doing and how he ran the store and understand some of the things that um, were pressing on his mind, some of the issues he was facing running the place. And it gave me two insights. Number one, that um, people are who they are, and that doesn't make them necessarily good or bad. And second, that I, up until that point, had a very black and white view of the world, and Dennis was a very gray area guy. And when I began to appreciate that, it opened up the doors for me to understand people so much better. I give him all the credit in the world for that. In fact, in the introduction of my book, Groundhog Days in the Benton Audit Business Strategy, he's one of the two people I dedicate my book to. And I specifically cite him for teaching me about something called Kintsugi, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. And what that is, is a Japanese art form where if you have like a bowl or a vase or something that breaks, you glue it back together, and then you cover the seams where you glued it with some sort of precious metal like silver and gold. The idea is to show that the thing has been broken and to celebrate the beauty of it having been broken and having been put back together again and the strength and the value that comes from those cracks and the healing process that went into it. And he literally taught me about Kintsugi because he had a Kintsugi bowl sitting on his desk, and one day I asked him why that bowl was sitting there. So, again, you know, you take the lessons where you can find them, and 
a lot of lessons we don't appreciate until looking back later. This is stuff I didn't really discover that had been truly valuable about my part-time college job until I was well on my way in my career. When I found myself using some of those same principles for my part-time job to move myself ahead in my career. Right. Right. And along those lines, I would add that uh, just like the broken uh, vase, as you said, uh, we've all heard this before, but I can tell you 100% that the mistakes that you make uh, and what you learn from those mistakes in life are what contribute significantly to success. Coming from, you know, like I said, from somebody like me, I had to learn everything on the fly, so I've made every mistake that there is possible. The key to it is self-reflection, making sure you're being introspection, introspective and, and, and see that you made that mistake uh, and then fix it and move forward. And many times I suppose that that's going to end up looking like a much more beautiful vase, to use your example. But I think that part is uh, is absolutely critical. Absolutely. absolutely. And I, again, it's one of the most powerful lessons of my life. And don't underestimate the ability of people to inspire you. Um, that, that general manager, that store, uh, Dennis, he actually impacted my life one more time that he wasn't around to realize. Uh, go back about six years ago to uh, 2013. I was still living in Pittsburgh, and I had been planning for years to get out of there. I was going to move. Uh, it was probably going to be Las Vegas, although I was looking at a couple other cities. And it was right after um, Independence Day, 2013, and I thought to myself, you know, I haven't really spoken with Dennis for like 10 years, so I'm going to look him up just to see what he's up to these days. And I Googled him, and what was the first thing that came up? His obituary, he had been buried two weeks earlier. And it occurred to me, holy crap, I am the same age now that he was when I worked for him. This stuff goes way too fast. And it was that, that, that very moment that I said, you know what, my lease is up here in October. After that, I'm heading across the country. That's it, I'm done. We're moving right. forward with this life. Right. So just uh, there are people along the way who may not be with you for your entire journey, that they can give you tools and give you learnings that will move you to the next step. And sometimes they don't even know they've done so, and you may not have the opportunity to express appreciation, so you can only show that by doing the best you can for the world. I think you absolutely need to find uh, mentors. In my case, when I started my company, I joined a CEO group. I was invited to join this group, and I joined it. Uh, and at that time, I was the 30-year-old, the, the 28, 29, 30-year-old kid uh, coming in that didn't really know anything. And I was sitting there with all of these 50-year-old CEOs that had owned their own businesses or had managed other businesses uh, for 20 and 25 years. Flash forward now 20 years later, and I'm now the one sitting there dispensing advice to the younger guys that have come into the group. And most of those CEOs that are there, that were there, are now in their 60s and 70s and either have moved on or retired. So the, the, the lessons that you'll learn from those guys are absolutely invaluable. And then the, the, I suppose the, 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 the best part about it is paying that forward, if you will, to uh, coin a phrase, 20 years or 30 years later, which is what I'm trying to do here, is to just uh, acknowledge those people and what they taught me and then also – uh, sell that on so that everybody knows or so that at least maybe somebody can hear what uh, what is possible. Because for me, and you'll find those people in the strangest places, for me when I was, seven, when I was uh, 13 years old, my older sister died. And when I was 14, eight months later, I went blind in my right eye. I got a virus in my right eye. So here I am 
14 years old, living the life that I was in poverty, pissed off, fighting every single day. And my parents pick up and move to Montana. Well, I'm not going to Montana. I'm 14 years old. I'm staying home. And so my seventh grade teacher, who I had just met that year, uh, allowed me to come stay at his house with him. And he had two young daughters that were five or six years younger than me uh, and a wife. And the interesting thing about this guy, I lived with him for eight or nine months where eventually I became such a nightmare they had to kick me out, rightfully so. But in that eight or nine months, what I saw was somebody who played catch with me, what I saw somebody who loved his kids and told them that all of the time. I saw this example that I had never had before, uh, and it stuck with me. What I like to say about him uh, and Steve is his name, and we go to L.A. Dodger. We're big L.A. Dodger fans, and we go to games together. We reunited after 30 years, and, and we reunited because I had to tell him if somebody, if I have the kind of impact on someone's life the way he did on mine, I would want them to, I, I would sure want to hear that. So I searched him out after 30 years to tell him that that's what he did. And what he did was, I'm like a rock that skipped off the river, skipped off the water, right? It doesn't. It was, it's not a hockey stick. I didn't change direction immediately and just go, go, uh, uh, you know, 180 degrees the opposite direction. It was gradual and over time, and so that by the time I got to be 26, 27, 28 years old, and the opportunities came to me, I was ready for them for a myriad of reasons, not the least of which is the lessons that he had taught me when I was 14 years old. So I, I understand that. My, Steve, fortunately, is still alive, and I talk to him all of the time. But I think the example is, and the lesson to learn there is, find somebody that will teach you and then listen. Be willing to hear the stories. Be willing to listen to it. You may hear it 10 times over and over again, because the older we get, I, th the older we get, I think the more we like to tell our stories. But there's a lot of value in that, and it's smart because who wouldn't? You might as well let us tell you how to avoid the pitfalls as opposed to having to go through the pitfalls yourself. Yeah, and I think this is all very important, and I hope that people who are looking to advance in careers can take some of this to heart. And I think it also applies to people who are entrepreneurial and their service providers, uh, where they render a human service, whether it's a one to one or a one to many, because in many cases it's the same thing. So this, I think, is going to be a great chance to transition to the next topic you want to share with us is overall jerry what do you think about the state of entrepreneurship today uh, i think that and i'm sad for it because i think that it there's a lot of opportunity to be had today uh, with entrepreneurs and i think the entrepreneur just the term has been bastardized so badly mostly coming out of silicon valley i think because uh, the only the only entrepreneurs that get any kind of publicity, social media, things of that nature, are all these unicorn companies that don't really exist uh, for for most of us. They're they're so very very rare. But you have the 27 year old kid that's a billionaire already because he created the latest app, right. and all of the all the kids then think. And by kids, I go you know 20s, 30s, teens think that that's what success is. When when success is something completely different. It is survival of the fittest. It is caveman going out and running 150 miles and knocking that saber-toothed tiger over the head and dragging it back. That's business. And whoever gets to that tiger first and can outlast everybody is going to be more successful. And when we talk about it or describe it as two hours a day and it doesn't take anything at all and you can earn it on the side, and that is just not reasonable. It's not, it's not going to, to work. And so the word entrepreneur – 
when I started, I didn't even know what that word meant. I didn't know what it meant to own a business. Nobody talked about it like we do today. The problem is today the way we talk about it is is to, like I said, bastardize it to such an extent that it doesn't really mean anything. People need to understand how hard it is to be an entrepreneur, but also what the payoff is. And here's what I would say to anybody who's 20 or 25 years old, 30 years old, that you think that there's no opportunity. I would kill to be 25 years old today. I'd be a 1,000 times richer if I were 25 years old today because – the state of people today, I believe, based on all of the employees and all the experience I have, is that ordinary is extraordinary today. So all you have to right. do is be ordinary to be extraordinary. And if you're, if you're already extraordinary and you're going to be very special, you're going to do well because the baseline has been so lowered that the, advan or the opportunities are everywhere if you're willing to take advantage of them. And with the Internet – and communication, uh, the way to access people to get your word out is so much easier than it was when I was a kid. That isn't to say that being an entrepreneur and starting a business is easy. It's not. It's very difficult. I'm saying that the things that I went through to do uh, of the 12 businesses that I've owned, the things that I had to go through and do, I would do completely differently today with very much less effort because of the because of social media and the internet. So the access is there, the opportunities are everywhere, but we get told all of the time about, you know, entrepreneurship and there's no opportunities and everything's been done and Amazon's eating everybody's lunch and Walmart you can't sell anything and you know, every time you talk about these big companies and there's nothing can be done. Meanwhile, there's millions of us out here just like me that are just out here humping every single day making every dollar that we can providing service to as many customers as possible let me bring up a couple points here uh, the first one is is I've had a handful of private consulting clients who have been with me for over 10 years and I've made the decision a long time ago that even though this is basically hands-on work do hands-on work that I'm going to be doing myself, I'm not really going to be creating like duplicate atoms and building teams and such and all that for them, which is why there's only three or four of them, actually, that uh, this will never be a one-to-many, it'll be, never be a quote-unquote leverage business, and on the other hand, uh, they're pretty much welcome to stay as long as they want, and I hope that they stay for as long as they remain in business. I may evolve my business a little bit over time, and I'm going to bring them along for the ride with some of the new discoveries. So as I expand my business and I make it more leveraged and I do more one-to-many type things and more leveraged type things, I'm thinking that in terms of what other businesses do I create. So, so that right there doesn't always have to be one or the other. It can be an and. That's the first item. Second item is that if you go back again to these handful of clients, uh, these are folks that uh, when I first encountered them, you know, they really didn't have any – aspirations of being the next Google. They didn't want to uh, be a, a catchphrase or anything like that. And I went through so many prospects and so many short-term clients that convinced themselves that because they had $30 in a dream that they were literally three months away from being the next Yahoo. And they, well, they went Yahoo pretty much. But these ones that have been here for so long, it's some of that same thing. And not in some cases, it may not be necessarily the flashiest or the most meme-worthy businesses out there, but they are consistent. They are growing. And the time I've been with them, their trajectory has only gone up. 
they've expanded to render more services and more solutions to the audiences they have while growing their audiences. They've discovered new markets and added that to what they already did. Uh, no unicorns, no fake non-existent products or anything like that, just steady, consistent, well-managed businesses with plans. And with all these flashes in the pan that have come and gone, I work with people that they look back to and they say, wow, yeah, I heard of them way back 20 years ago. Amazing they're still around. Right. Non-sexy non businesses that probably started out with, uh, like you said, 30 bucks in a dream and one at a time added customers. And that is, that's what, I mean, that's what we all start out to do. That's, I had no sense. I had no concept. Here's how stupid I am, Adam. When I started, I did $3 million my first year in business. I had no sense that the average business at that at that time 20 years ago was about $400,000 a year in revenue. I had no idea that was the right. case, right? I, I, so I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what, what you weren't supposed to do. Uh, I, I did $6 million my second year. I did $10 million my third year and $14 million my fourth year. I, I All I did is went out and sold because I didn't know any better. I didn't know that you're not supposed to grow that quickly. But you learn those lessons as you go, and that's where you just have to start. I had no, no preconceived notion that I was going to become a millionaire and own all the things that I do and have all the things that I have. I had no idea that I was just – trying to pay the bills and I didn't want to work for anybody anymore. I wanted to work for myself and I was willing to do anything that it took to to get there. So though you know the the, uh, the to add to that I I'm on Reddit a lot and and I keep telling my producer Billy I got to get off Reddit because it just continues to <laughs> frustrate me to no end because in those business sections every second question is startup related and how do I get money for startup and what do I do for startup and I have the same answer to all of those questions all the time startups are unicorns you know that series A or B or C funding it just doesn't happen people for the majority of us the majority of us you go out you start a business I don't know a single company and I know lots of businesses uh, 40 or 50 business owners I don't know a single one that got any series of funding so what they did is they went out and got a customer and then they put money on their credit cards, or they got that customer to pay them early, or they borrowed money from their parents, or whatever it is, and they bootstrapped that company together to where now 20, 30 years later, it's multiples of millions, and they're living the dream after 20 and 30 years of 15-hour days and sweat and toil and risk. And that's what business is. It's not going and getting uh, Sand Hill to give you the money so that you can go out and possibly do a startup while that happens, it's very rare, and unfortunately, the story gets told. The sexy story is is what goes on in Silicon Valley. The real story is what happens here on the ground for you and me here in Portland and you. I'm sorry, I think you said you were in Vegas. Wherever each yeah. of us are, that's where your business is. You just got to go get it. You just got to go out and do it. Inside my book, Groundhog Days, Invent Not a Business Strategy, there are two things I mentioned. The first is, and that I think apply to startups and people looking for that first dollar to hang on the wall. The first is I challenge everybody to ask the question every day as often as possible, looking at the stuff they're doing in their business, what would happen if we didn't do this at all? And you'll be surprised how many things you could probably just do without. You'll be amazed how many things you're already doing where you're missing opportunities that come from doing those so you could be doing them better or you could be taking better advantage of the results of doing those things. 
The other piece, and it's very similar to what you just said, Jerry, is if I have a startup uh, that, that I see and they're still talking about finding their way to revenue, I say, you want to find your way to revenue? What, what is it you want to do? And they'll say, well, I want to make – I want to I want to. I'm just going to make up really something really simple. I'm going to say, uh, I want to build websites. I say, okay, so go get yourself a client and build their website. Right. It's that simple because now you are getting paid for that thing you want to do, and you now have a customer to whom you owe a deliverable and a positive success result. That will get you moving. And all these lessons you think you're going to learn from retreats and PowerPoint presentations and business plans and analytics, Analysis and all that. See, I can't even pronounce the word without being obscene about it because I think I think that way about it actually. Is um, is uh, you want to learn lessons about how to be better at web design? Go build some websites, and you'll learn from the good and the bad real quick. That's right, and that that is 100%. I agree with you. Uh, you don't go get the funding first. You go get the revenue first, and then the revenue funds whatever job you're doing, and the job you're doing will either be good or bad, and you'll make more money or less money from that. It's it's that. When I did it uh, 20 years ago when I started my transportation company, we built a better mousetrap, and so we did two things. We built a better mousetrap, and then we worked harder than everybody else, and that was that was easy, and or that was simple, and my competition did not want to compete with me because I would be at work answering emails uh, 10 years ago at 4 o'clock in the morning. So what are you willing to do? You go get that customer, and then what, what are you willing to do to, uh, to be successful with that customer and then the next one? I mean, it, it's, there's no shortcut, I think, to your point. You can go to all of the seminars you want, and, and I encourage no one to do any of those sorts of things. There are no go-get-rich seminars. There's no free seminar. There's no, a free seminar doesn't exist. It may be free to get through the door, but they're going to try to get something out of you. Stay away from all of that good, old-fashioned hard work. Go out and get the experience, as I've talked about. It will, it will pay off for you exponentially more than anything you will learn sitting in a chair. And I'll add to that, go find somebody else who's done it and just sit and ask questions. Just sit and listen. Listen to this podcast. Listen to other podcasts. Listen to people who have done it before and then believe and trust in what they say. It's going to be hard, though, because the easy way is so attractive. The the five minutes from home every day and earn all of this extra passive income seems so attractive. And I only got to pay $2,000 for the book that's going to teach me how to make $10,000 a year. All of that, there's a reason why there's the, 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 the cons exist. That's it. That's the definition of a con. You have to stay away from that. If it seems simple, you're in the wrong area. If it seems simple, you need to run. It's, it, it's difficult. Yeah. But it's, it's in that difficulty that we find ourselves. It's in that difficulty where all the benefit is. And that's, for me, that's what it was. Every time I do something new or I, I started a new business or I bought one or I sold one or whatever it was, for me, it was that, that, that experience is what, where I found all of the value. Uh, you know, that exhilaration at taking the risk. This is what being an entrepreneur is, not sitting at home waiting for somebody to give you money. You know, I, I've, uh, I'm honored by the friendship of a number of people who are honest-to-God people who have made multiple, multiple, multiple millions through online marketing, through public speaking. And I'm going to tell you two things that their businesses have in common. I know we have about two minutes before I need this to um, give you a moment for that gift you have for our audience. Uh, there's two things they have in common. First of all, whereas everybody else is talking about, oh, you need to build a team and have all these contractors and, and sub-levels and project managers and people in seven countries in the world, 
Uh, their businesses, their multi-million dollar annual revenue businesses, usually consist of themselves, their spouse who is on the paperwork as an employee for purposes of transferring revenue, who also acts as their personal assistant. Uh, there'll be one full-time employee, and there'll be occasional contractors who come and go, and that's their entire model. That's one piece. The other piece is if you look at their stories of how they did it, they'll tell you stories about how uh, they would be flying on an airplane to go see one client, and they would be pre-writing the thank you letters, and they would be literally writing letters and applying the postage stamps themselves to those envelopes that they would drop in the mail after they got off the airplane to reach out to prospects and previous customers. And that's how they built their businesses. They didn't hire a team or a person to do that. They did it themselves. And, and, if, you ask them, and if you ask them about that, they'll say, hell, yeah, I did it, and I'll do it again. That's why you're listening to me. When it comes down and to it, I may not be the – yeah, when I come out to, I may not be the smartest pe person. I may not be the most talented. There may be other people who do what I do a lot better than I do it, but I'll outwork all of them. That's right. And, they, and, and the key there is they probably worked long hours, long days building that business. Uh, and I know people also that make money online. I think, my, and I don't mean to sound derogatory about that. What I do mean to sound derogatory about is the people that are pitching them some sort of magic formula that just doesn't exist because, like you just explained, if you're not putting your time in and the effort and working double uh, you know, while you're on the airplane going to one customer, taking care of another customer, you're just not going to succeed. Right. Okay, Jerry, I wish we could speak for three hours, but unfortunately even the Business Creators Radio Show has limits. So first of all, Jerry Brazy, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. And you mentioned in the green room you have a little gift for us. Adam, yeah, I just want to direct everybody, if I could, to uh, jerrybrazee.com. That's uh, J-E-R-R-Y-B-R-A-Z-I-E.com, sla uh, forward slash business creators. And on there you can learn, like you said, it's been an hour, and we could probably go on for three hours. And really what, what I hope people take away from me and my message, and they can go on our website and see about our podcast and read uh, our blog posts about what my life has been, like, is, has been like, simply I don't want to brag necessarily, but I guess I have to in order for people to kind of see where, they can, where people can come from and what you can achieve. And if I can inspire anybody uh, or, or have a conversation with anybody, reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to anybody. If you need some advice, I'm happy to give that. If you just want to have a conversation, I'm very open. I'm not selling anything. I don't have a book. I don't have a seminar. I'm, I'm giving this away because I, this is my way of giving back is to try to help others and hopefully inspire a couple of kids just like me that are thinking about starting out but don't think it's possible. That's really what my message is and what I'm trying to come across with. JerryBrazy.com forward slash business creators. Make sure to take Jerry up on that. So thank you once again, Jerry Brazy, for being with us today. It's been an honor, and believe me, in education. Adam, I appreciate it. Thanks, bud. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next day, have a, it's so, ah, so exciting. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.